Welcome to the TSN MMA show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, here in the age of social distancing, doing this from my basement, just like I did last week's show, and probably subsequent weeks, the show will be done from here. So uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning into this. I know everybody else is doing the same thing. I'm not special. It's just uh, the situation, of course, that we have at hand right now. A situation that has inevitably essentially ruled out Khabib Nurmagomedov for competing at UFC 249. He's been on uh, Instagram over the last little bit. He says basically everything in, in Dagestan is shut down. He's not even able to get to cities that are nearby, get into those cities because of this shutdown. He says all he's been wanting from the UFC is a location. They haven't been able to provide one. And as a result, it seems like it is not going to be possible for him to compete at this event should this event take place. And I say should this event take place because... A lot of things are up in the air still, and I don't know if the UFC is just keeping it close to the vest or what the situation is, but it does not look like this is going to be an ordinary event that's going to be held under ordinary circumstances. Let's just say that. Now, I don't understand how the UFC are going to do this with 10 or less people in a room if they are going to be following the CDC protocols, but let's forget about that for a moment and just focus on Khabib Nurmagomedov because he's getting a lot of hate for basically being a realist. He's being realistic. Let's be clear. He's in Russia, and he doesn't know how he's going to get out, even if there is a way to get out through private aviation. What this guy's gone through over the last couple of weeks is not what you would want from a normal fight camp. A lot of fighters need everything to go perfectly according to plan in order to feel like they're competing at their optimal self, their optimal level. And... If you look at what Khabib Nurmagomedov has gone through, flying from San Jose to Russia, then to Abu Dhabi, then back to Russia, all these things are being closed down. He's, he has to figure out some sort of way out of the country if he wants to travel or needs to get on another plane and fly back to the U.S. where it looks like this is going to be held. At least that's what signs are pointing to. But he doesn't know where. And I, I mean, so what's he going to do? He's going to fly to New York and then, or Vegas and then, fl- and then drive, rent a car and drive to wherever this location is? What's the expectation for Khabib Nurmagomedov here, and what is something that's realistic? What what can he realistically do to get into the U.S. for this event? You expect Khabib Nurmagomedov during a global pandemic where the borders are shut down in Russia to get on a private airplane, maybe the UFC sets it up, I don't know, but to get from Dagestan to somewhere where there's a private airport. I'm not sure where the closest private airport would be. To get there, fly to the U.S., uh, a country that's quite big, somewhere in the U.S. I don't know, let's say a big airport. Let's say it's Chicago or New York or Las Vegas. Go and rent a car and then drive to another location or wait around somewhere for... I mean, he doesn't live in San Jose. He he, he lives there during his camp, but so he's going to travel back to San Jose, stay at a location train at AKA for the next couple of weeks, and then drive to wherever this is. It's just too much to ask of a person. It really is. It is too much to ask of somebody. So if you want to say that the guy's a coward, or you want to say that the guy doesn't want to fight Ferguson, under those circumstances, I wouldn't want to fight Ferguson, even if I had the skills of Khabib Nurmagomedov. How can you blame this guy? He says in his Instagram, put yourself in my shoes. Do it. Put yourself in his shoes. You're an undefeated fighter. You have a legacy to protect. You want to fight at your absolute best against Tony Ferguson, who everybody would say is the second best lightweight in the world for the most part. I, I, I mean, you might have a, an outlier here or there that believes it's Conor McGregor or Justin Gay. I don't know. But to face the second best lightweight in the world, a guy on a massive win streak, people expect him to do this 
at a suboptimal level. And he's the champion of the world. Legacy is the most meaningful thing to him. And they expect this man to somehow get to an undisclosed location over the next two and a half weeks so that he can go and cut weight. (laughs) He can go and cut weight to fight in an empty building against Tony Ferguson. I don't doubt for a second that he would do it. But I think it's asking way too much. And I think he has had enough of having to basically adjust his life on the fly. Tony Ferguson has had the comfort of his own home. He trains basically at his home in Big Bear, California. He trains there. He lives there. He's got his family with him. He doesn't have to worry about any of this stuff. The conditions are optimal for Tony Ferguson to fight at his peak performance on April 18th, whether it's against Khabib, whether it's against Justin Gaethje, or whether it's not at all. But he is in a situation where he can do this at his absolute best. Khabib is not. I don't care. You you cannot make the argument that he is operating under optimal, uh, in an optimal situation right now. You just can't. You cannot tell me that he's going to be able to go to April 18th with all of these with all of these different distractions that none of them are going to affect him. You can't tell me that. It's not possible. And people point to Zhang Veili, how she flew to Thailand, I believe it was, and then Abu Dhabi, and then to the States, and she did all that for her first title defense against Joanna, and she, she weathered that storm. That's her decision. If she would have said no, I wouldn't have blamed her at all. And if you would have blamed her, I mean, again, you're nuts. Like, these are not the... Like, every every... Athlete wants their fight camp to go absolutely perfectly. They don't want to get an injury if it is an injury, a very mild injury. They, they don't want to have as much wear and tear going in. They want to have a perfect weight cut. Their diet needs to be perfect. None of these things can happen if you're jet-setting around the world from place to place trying to appease the UFC and trying to appease the fans. Trying to you're, you're doing it for everybody else but you. And this is a selfish sport. This is a sport where you get paid based on an individual performance. You, you can point to the coaches, you can point to the nutritionists, all that. I, I get it. it. They're part of it. But this is an individual sport. It's a one-on-one sport. You're getting in there, and you're facing another human being in a cage on that night under whatever the circumstance may be. And if you lose, people aren't going to be like, oh, it's his nutritionist's fault. They're not going to say, oh, Javier Vasquez should have come up with a better game plan. None of that is going to happen. What's going to happen is they're going to say, you failed on that night. You were unable to get the job done. You quit if you submit. You 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 got knocked out. You, you, you. And that's why this is a selfish sport. And people need to wrap their heads around that before they start pointing fingers at Khabib and saying, oh, the guy's a quitter. Oh, the guy didn't show up. He had a contract. Oh, he was supposed to fight Ferguson on that date. I was supposed. Were you supposed to go to a birthday party in the next little a couple of weeks? You know, somebody said to me, the other day on Twitter, he goes, well, Tony, remember when Khabib signed the contract or something like that? Remember when Khabib said he'd fight him in the streets? And you know what I said? Remember when malls were open? You remember when shopping malls were open? We're in a different world right now. This is These are not the same conditions that we are accustomed to. Nobody. Not Khabib, not Tony. Nobody. Everybody right now is in an era where we're trying to defeat a virus. Like a, a global pandemic is occurring. And we're worried about whether one man can get from Russia to the U.S. Again, these are two large countries. Don't know which airport, where, how. That's what people are worried about right now. And that's and people are going to call someone out because they're not able to do that on 
because because you want to be entertained on April the 18th. Well, you can still be ent- entertained on April the 18th if the, UFC, if the UFC hold a card. Are you telling me you're not going to watch Gaethje versus Ferguson if that ends up being the fight? And people say, oh, well, this shouldn't even be a topic. There's a global pandemic going on. Why are you even discussing these news topics? Not because I'm not the promoter. I'm not, I'm not the one saying that there's going to be an event on April the 18th. If the UFC says they're trying to hold an event on April the 18th, I have to go off of that. That's how you report on the sport. I'm not reporting on a global pandemic. I'm reporting on this sport during a global pandemic. And this sport, at least one promotion, the, mo- the biggest promotion in this sport, want to carry on events. They have not canceled a single event from now until the end of the year of this, as of this date, as of today. They've canceled two previous events, but nothing that's upcoming. It wasn't supposed to be an event this coming weekend. Sorry, I stand corrected. I guess the April 11th, the Portland card, they have canceled. So I stand corrected on that. April 11th was canceled. I'm thinking of the calendar in my mind now. So I stand corrected. They canceled the Portland event. So there's one event canceled from now till the end of the year. So I have to work on the assumption that everything from UFC 249 and beyond is happening. Because that's what we've been told. The promotion has not canceled these events. Bellator canceled all their May events. Ryzen has canceled all events until July. The PFL have delayed the start of their season. These are all facts. I can cover that. I can't say, well, what if the PFL was holding the tournament next week? Who would win? I have to operate on the information that I have. So for people to say, oh, why are you even talking about this? This is there's a global pandemic. I, I know there's a global pandemic. I'm at home. I'm in the same place as you. I'm, I'm practicing social distancing. I'm not, I'm not traveling to wherever this event is going to be. But I have to operate under the assumption that this event is still happening. And if this event is still happening, I think that it is outside the realm of possibility that Habib can compete under these circumstances at, his, at, his, the, at the top of his game. It's just not, it's not possible. And you can argue with me if you think that there is some sort of way that you believe that that's true. And I'll tell you 10 out of 10 t- times that you're wrong. I mean, it's just not, it, it's not the correct way to prepare for, for the biggest fight of your, your career. And this would be the biggest fight of Khabib's career. It's not the Conor fight. I think that most people believe that Ferguson has the best chance of anybody to beat Khabib based on the skills, based on the matchup. And if not, then for I, I can you can make a case for that. Whatever. If you don't think that this is as big as the Conor fight, I'll listen to you. I'll hear you out. It's not as big of a fight in terms of sales or whatever, but in terms of competition, I think this is a more competitive fight. Maybe Conor convince, can convince me otherwise in the coming years. So right now, I think we need to take a, a big step back and let Khabib Nurmagomedov off the hook. Because this isn't on him. He didn't cause a global pandemic. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. This is not this is not the same as him flying to Russia and refusing to come to the US on any regular day of the year. It's just it's not. And if you want to act like it is, then you've got blinders on because there's a there's a big situation going on in this world right now and uh, you can't bury your head in the sand for the, just because you love mixed martial arts. I would love to see that fight happen. In fact, if Khabib was comfortable coming to the US and or wherever this is going to be held and wanted to fight Ferguson, I'd, I'd be thrilled. Uh, everybody wants to see this fight. But we can't have the expectation that fighters are going to change, are going to turn their lives upside down in the midst of a global pandemic, leave their families, travel on planes, cars, travel to different cities that they, you know that, where they don't know what's going on, and then come home and have to be away from their families for another 14 days while they go into quarantine because they've been traveling. It's a lot to expect from another human being. It just is. We're not expecting that of each other. You know, like nobody's saying, saying, Aaron, I need you to uh, 
go go from grocery store to grocery store and shake hands with people and hope to not get the it's, I know it's a different story but listen the, the expectation is not that I'm going to put myself in danger it's just not it's not I don't expect anybody listening to this to put themselves in danger if if you are in a profession where you are putting yourself in danger you have to work at a grocery store or you have to work in the medical profession I applaud you I think that you are doing the lord's work you are you are the people that are keeping the society going and I I applaud you to the highest of highs, you, uh, you're somebody that I look up to at this time, honestly. I'm not saying that to be facetious in any way, shape, or form. I think that you're a better person than I am. Uh, I mean, if, if I was in that profession, I would have a lot of problems doing it. I would, I'd be worried. I'd be, I'd be fearful. And thank you for doing it if you're driving a truck. If you're any, any profession right now that's considered an essential service where you are interacting with people on a day-to-day basis, and that's part of your job, I applaud you. But you can't have the expectation that people will do that when they don't necessarily have to. And I don't think Khabib necessarily has to. I think he can take his foot off the gas, relax, deal with this pandemic the same way as everybody else is. That's all he wants to do. He wants to just do what everybody else is doing. Stay home. Keep your social distance from people. Don't be gathering in in mass groups. That's all he wants to do. So let the man do it in peace. You can tell that he's bothered by these comments, that he's upset by how he's being portrayed in the media how people are commenting on, on him, what people are saying, what Tony Ferguson is saying about him. It's, it bothers him because he's being realistic, and that's all we can ask. So, you know, this whole thing isn't meant to be some sort of diatribe to defend Khabib, but that's what it is. I, I would defend defend Khabib 100% in this circumstance. That's just It's just looking at the circumstance, that's the way it's got to be. So cut the guy some slack. He's not being a coward. He's being being a responsible human being. So Brett Okamoto did an interview with Khabib Nurmagomedov, and it was an interesting one because Khabib basically said that he's just been waiting for a location. He's trying to get to whatever that location is. But at this point in time, it seems like a, a foregone conclusion that he's not going to be able to get to that location due to all of the restrictions. But he said something that was interesting to me, which was, why don't they come to Russia? Like, Why, why are people not saying Tony's hiding in the U.S. and not coming to Russia? Why are they putting it all on him? Which I thought was a very interesting thought from Khabib Nurmagomedov. Um, but it looks like they're just trying to find somebody to pin this on. And Khabib seems like the easy target because he is not stateside where now suddenly it appears this event's going to be. Now, where in the U.S. this is going to be, I have no idea. I mean, Governor uh, DeSantis in Florida has uh, banned mass gatherings with the exception of religious gatherings, which for... I just can't wrap my head around that one. But, um, you know, you can do all of these things through technology. You don't need to be in a big room with somebody. But I digress. Um, So I I don't know exactly what the status of this event is. Dana White was so active with the media last week, and now he's radio silence this week. The last interview he did, as far as I can tell, was last Friday uh, when he was on a uh, boxing podcast called uh, Heavyweight, Heavyweight Show, something along those lines with uh, Adam Catterall from BBC. So since then, he has, he's been radio silent. Like they're, they're trying to keep everything close to the vest now. But th- the more the time goes forward, and the more that we start to see elevated cases, elevated deaths, elevated um, just the numbers going through the roof worldwide for the coronavirus... Is this going to be a situation where the UFC stands down? Where they say, listen, now is not the time. 
we can't do this right now. It's just it's it's too risky for our fighters. It doesn't look great on us. At what point does Dana White say, you know, I, I tried really hard to do this, but it just is not going to make sense for us right now as a company. It's not going to make sense for our fighters. I don't know if that happens, honestly. I, if I, if you were to ask me, you know, it's not a coin flip. I, I would say that it's likely that we're going to see an event on April the 18th in some form or fashion that is put on by the UFC. The UFC want to continue holding events, not just on the 18th, but thereafter as well. Now, March 25th, there was supposed to be a hearing that the Nevada State Athletic Commission has canceled. Has I mean, it was last week, but they canceled that hearing, and they haven't rescheduled it. So until that's rescheduled, the apex is not in play for the UFC, which would be the best environment for them to hold events if, they, if that was the plan. Fighters can drive to Las Vegas. They can compete at the apex. It's a controlled environment. The UFC can decide who sits where. They can distance people to a degree where they don't have to come in contact with bodily fluids and whatnot, with the exception, of course, of the fighters. So I think that we need to see what happens in the coming week. You know, Dana White said that it was going to be the coming days where they were going to release the location. That was when he spoke to Kevin Ioli last week. But then he's gone, since said that every day it seems like the world is changing. The world is changing. Well, maybe that's a sign. Maybe that's a sign that this just is not the right time. Another thing he's saying is that uh, he doesn't want to tell the media where this is going to be held because they're going to talk to the commission and they're going to try to prevent it from happening. That's not the case at all. He's correct, though. The media will dig as to why this event is going to happen. But that's their job. Like Their job is to cover the sport. And if this sport is being held and it seems like a commission is not doing their due diligence or, or doesn't have the correct safety triggers in place, it's the media's job to find out why an event would be going forward. So I don't blame him for not telling the media, frankly, if, if that's what his mindset is, if he thinks that the media is going to try to, to stop the event from happening. I, I don't think that's the case at all, but I do think that the media will do their due diligence as to why this event is going to be allowed to go forward when every other sporting entity pretty much in the world is not holding events. It does seem strange that Dana White is the only person of real stature in the sports world that seems completely unconcerned with the coronavirus. He says, you know, we're all going to die sometime, and if the coronavirus gets me, it gets me. I'm not really sure that's a a very thoughtful way of thinking about it, given that it's not just about him, it's not just about the people that get the coronavirus, but it's those that are exposed to it in general. Like, for example, uh, Mark Ratner is their VP of Regulatory Affairs. I think he might be Senior VP of Regulatory Affairs, so if I'm wrong, I stand corrected. But... He's an older man, and if he gets the coronavirus like that, that's he's a high risk person. Are they going to have him come to the events? Like, what, what? Where do we stop? How many people are in their office right now? What's happening in terms of the distancing that the UFC is doing? It's, it's a lot of it is very, again, being kept very close to the vest. And I'm curious about it, just as a member of the media trying to figure out what the UFC's plans are. But again, if you ask me, I think that they're going to hold an event on April 18th. And uh, if Khabib's not in that event, it could be Justin Gaethje versus Tony Ferguson. It could be Kamaru Usman and uh, Jorge Masvidal, although Kamaru Usman said something very interesting yesterday on Khabib Nuragomedov's Instagram. He said, you know, people don't care about our lives. They just care about violence, something along those lines. And I think that he's concerned deep down about why everybody are so eager to see these guys compete right now. 
And frankly, I don't blame them. I think it's it's confusing. It's a very confusing time to be a UFC fighter under these circumstances. Why are people so eager to see competition under these circumstances? To me, it does not make a whole lot of sense. It really doesn't. And uh, I don't know what the plan is for the UFC, but uh, it seems like while Bellator has canceled their events through May, while the PFL has postponed their season, the UFC are still all systems go. And it's uh, it's interesting to see. And as somebody who covers the sport, I feel like it's our duty to cover the sport as if it's going to continue to happen. I'm trying to think of some other situations that have happened this week, one of which was just uh, John Jones rather pleading guilty to one of the charges, which was the DWI charge, and being sentenced to a year of what seems to be strict probation, as well as house arrest, community service, and three other charges were dropped as a result of this plea agreement. And what stood out to me was his statement released afterwards through his publicist, Denise White, that said that he understands he has a problematic relationship with alcohol. And sometimes that recognition is the first step. But again, this is not new for John Jones. We've seen him release these statements before. We've seen him say he's going to change. We've seen him say he's gone to rehab. He went to rehab after his mother passed away to make sure that he didn't fall into uh, you know, any sort of problems with addiction at that time in his life. But we've also seen him in interviews since say, well, you know, I have a drink to let loose every now and then. And he acted like it was not a big deal. Well, clearly it's a big deal. If, if during a time of social distancing and self-isolation of the coronavirus, you're going out and finding trouble, that's a massive problem. Like th- That speaks to a huge, huge issue. This isn't one of those things where you go out, you're having a good time with friends, you have a drink, becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, and you get carried away. But this is a situation where an individual went out of his way to go out, in his vehicle, had a, a, a handgun in his car, had an open liquor container in his car. This is a problem. And I, I really hope that he takes this problem seriously. And people blame the, the folks around him. And uh, I just don't know how you can do that when there's nobody around him at this time aside from his family. Do you think he's going to his wife and saying, I'm going to go out and have a drink and, and go drive? you think he's calling his managers and saying that? Absolutely not. I would imagine, <laughs> because they would probably try to stop him no matter what the situation was, but that's not how these things work. When you have a problem or an addiction, you do it secretly. You find ways to work around other people getting you to stop because you know that it's a problem, but you won't admit that it's a problem. And uh, in this situation, he has admitted it is a problem, and whether or not he takes that problem seriously from here on out is, is up to him, and uh, I think that he should do that. And I just don't know why, you know, if if he continues down this path, it's going to be a real problem. It's going to be a real, real problem in his life, especially post-fight career. If this is what he's doing while he's on top of the world, while he has all the fame, and while he should be a disciplined athlete, what's he going to do when people don't care anymore? He'll still be considered the greatest or one of the greatest of all time, depending on how the, how the rest of his career goes. But, you know, what happens if you're not in the spotlight as much and, and you still want to enjoy that lifestyle? Things can get carried away. And it worry it makes me worried because John has four daughters. He's got a, a fiance at home. How does this affect them? 
And how are they going to look back on their father when they get older and have access to the internet and you know are, are allowed to find this information for themselves? That you know, how is that going to impact their lives? It's not just about John Jones; it's about the people around him as well. And I, I know deep down, John's got to know that. You know, he brought up his family during the the body cam video that was released. Um, due to, you know, it's considered public information in the state of New Mexico to release the body cam footage, but he was saying, you know, I've got a family, and uh, we, you know, if you're worried about your family, you can't you can't go out doing this. You can't go out doing these things, and I think he must know that. He he, he reached the plea agreement. He, he understands that there is an issue here. So, where we go from here is anyone's guess. I'm hoping that Things take a turn for the better in the life of John Jones. I really do. I, I hope that for him and his family. And I also hope that for the greater society around him, that he's able to turn this around and not endanger his own life and the life, lives of those um, in in New Mexico that could be impacted by someone who's driving under the influence. So, or driving while intoxicated, I guess is what it's called there, DWI. But I hope that for the greater good, and for him, and for the people around him, that this thing turns around. That this train has left the station, he's willing to take things seriously. Go to rehab. Stay sober. Because this is a real issue. Now we're looking ahead to UFC 249, and again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just speak about it as if it's happening. I can't prevent it from happening. I can speak out against it. That's fine. I'm sure most people don't think it's a great idea. But I have to look ahead as if this is going to be a sporting event that happens. And if it does, we've got some intriguing possibilities for this particular car. Colby Covington and uh, Tyron Woodley seem to be going back and forth on social media. We've got uh, Jerry Rosenstruck and Francis Ngannou are both stateside. Jessica Andrade has landed stateside. So her fight with Rosnami Yunus looks like it's still in play. There's still the possibility to make a great card here. And it seems like the athletes want to compete. Safety, of course, is the number one priority. It has to be. You have to make sure that all of these athletes are tested. But should this event go forward, I think that they are, they have the opportunity to put on a, something very special for those at home that are wanting to watch something. But I also think that it's going to be an indication as to whether people are open to live sports. The UFC card in Brasilia did not have great ratings on ESPN. Now, whether that's because it was on ESPN and ESPN Plus simultaneously, who knows? But will this event, will people turn their backs to this event if they're not diehard MMA fans because of a moral disagreement with it taking place in the first place? That's what I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how receptive people are to this event. I think also, once the mainstream media gets wind of the fact that the UFC is the only sports league that's actually going to be holding an event in the month of April, other than maybe some horse racing or something along those lines, something that involves people, people making physical contact, what's the reaction going to be from the mainstream media? Are they going to pile on and say, this can't happen, this doesn't make any sense? Or are they going to cover it like it's, hey, an event happened? I'm just interested to see what the overall reaction is to an event like this taking place under these circumstances because this is uncharted water, uncharted territory. And I think that the UFC might be surprised at how people react to this because 
I know they're trying to appeal to people that are staying at home and people that are craving live sports. I absolutely get it. But I think a lot of those people understand that they have to give up some of the things that are fun in life, some of the things, some of the extra pleasures in life, whether it's live sports, whether it's going out to the movies, going out to the store, going shopping. We all have to make these sacrifices during this time. And I think people have come to terms with that. and they, they don't, They're not necessarily screaming to, to, the, to the high heavens that they need live sports right now. I'm sure everybody wants it, but is it a need? You know, a lot of people want to go out to restaurants and sit down and enjoy a meal. A lot of people want to go out to cafes and sit down with their friend and enjoy a coffee. But we know that at this time, point in time, that's just not the responsible thing to do. So let's see how people respond to this event if it does take place on April the 18th. I had the opportunity earlier this week to speak with the Count Michael Bisping. That was a lot of fun. I always enjoy catching up with the Count. One of my favorite guys to talk to. One of the most entertaining people to come out of the UFC in his post-fight career. Has a very, very popular podcast called Believe You Me. Has released a book called Quitters Never Win. And uh, I was very happy that he took the time to spend uh, time with me. Here he is on the TSN MMA show. All right, I'm pleased to be joined by the former UFC middleweight champion, the host of Believe You Me podcast, and an author of uh, Quitters Never Win, not Winners Never Quit. Quitters Never Win. I keep getting confused. But, uh, Michael, thanks for joining me. No, it's my pleasure, Aaron. You know, to be honest, winners never quit, quitters never win. They kind of mean the same thing, but yeah, you're right. The book is called Quitters Never Win. I would say go and get yourself a copy on Amazon, but I'm not sure if that's the best place to get it. Off the top, I've got to get the plug in. If you're interested in the book, go to diversionbooks.com. That is the best place to get it. But Aaron, the floor is yours, my friend. All right. Well, I'll start off by saying that uh, you've been having to field a lot of uh, weird people on Twitter that don't believe that the coronavirus is a big deal. How have you been dealing with that on a day to day basis? Yeah, unfortunately, uh, yeah, there is a lot of people out there that think this is a giant conspiracy. They think that we're here. Like, for example, some friends that I know, they feel that uh, the government are testing out socialism. And they don't want us getting together in large groups so we don't exchange ideas and then we start a revolution, you know, uh, which I just find to be laughable, if I'm quite honest, uh, with respect. Um, I'm getting my information from healthcare professionals, people that have dedicated their lives to science and then they know about these things. You know, now, of course, they might be lying to me as well, but I don't see what their motivation would be. But, uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Listen, the sad thing is, the sad reality is that people are dying from this. It's not a laughing matter. It's not a joke, and it needs to be taken seriously. And I feel that by people still getting together in large groups or, or just totally ignoring the advice of self-isolation and quarantine, they're going to cost innocent people, maybe their grandparents, their elderly, even younger people we're seeing now. They're going to cost them their lives. Now, for those people that have to go to work, I was just talking on the Jim Rome show earlier because I tweeted out, listen, please, everybody stay home. I know not everybody can do that. Certainly first-line workers, nurses, doctors, people like that, they have to go to work. People in supermarkets who work there, they've got to go to work. And some people that just can't afford to stay at home, they have to go to work. You know, people say to me, oh, it's very easy for you. You're sitting there in a big mansion. Number one, I don't live in a big bloody mansion. But financially, I'm not at stress. You know, I had a good fight career and, 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 and we're okay. But I remember 
working 60, 70 hours a week doing manual labor and still not being able to make ends meet. So my heart and my thoughts are with those people and I wish them all the best. And hopefully now we're going to see some aid coming from the governments. They're going to help out with rent, with mortgages. They're going to, uh, I know in the UK at least, they're going to uh, uh, pay them 80% of what they were earning, up to £2,500 a month. Uh, so, so there is some help for people out there. N never for one second am I uh, saying, oh, people stay at home and go hungry and things like that. My hearts are with them. But I feel that as a worldwide community, if we all do the right thing, then hopefully this will be a thing of the past sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's not looking up uh, right now. It looks like it's, you know, we still have a long uh, haul ahead of us, unfortunately. Um, well, the UFC, uh, you know, you, you do announce their shows uh, on whenever you're assigned them. They're looking to hold an event on April 18th, and um, they're looking to do it in a safe fashion. Uh, what do you think of this idea? Yeah, listen, you know, with the UFC, I mean, I'm going to sound like a bit of a hypocrite here, but, you know, with the UFC, fighter safety has always been paramount. And, you know, when we talk about those workers that I spoke about a moment ago, you know, that are struggling to make ends meet, obviously people at the top of the food chain in the UFC, you know, your big, big names, they've done well. But there's a lot of people out there still struggling, still making out their, starting out their careers, still finding their way, you know, and they still need to make a living. Um you know, so I understand the UFC. Listen, I understand what Dana said a few weeks ago. He said, this is what I do all the time. I overcome these obstacles constantly. You know, we've got 500 people. I was talking about this on my podcast yesterday. There's 500 fighters or so, roughly 500 on the UFC roster. There's a lot of volatile individuals, a lot of people that don't follow rules, a lot of people that might get arrested or, or whatever. I mean, you know, look at John Jones. Look at these madness, these crazy stories that happen all the time. And Dana always has to find a way around it. I mean, look at the example with John Jones when, um, you know, he tested positive, but California would give him a license. So they moved the entire event on a few days' notice to California. Dana's an expert in doing this. You know, Dana's not going to put people at risk, though. So he's going to, you know, he's going to make uh, uh, advice, strategic choices as to how we can do this. The fighters are still willing to do it. And I know damn sure people are still willing to watch it. I know I am. So, uh you know, yesterday we're hearing that Khabib versus Tony isn't going to happen and they're looking for a replacement. I can't wait to see it. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, who who the replacement is going to be. Of course, you know, I, I do sound like a hypocrite compared to what I just said. But they're going to do it in a, in a controlled environment, you know. So we're not going to have hundreds or thousands of people all getting together in one place and, and spreading uh, the virus. I believe that everyone's going to be tested. And, you know, if, if there's anybody that looks or sounds or shows symptoms of any of this, then yeah, they're out the door. Well, I've said that, you know, when people criticize Dana, you have to know Dana and you have to know where his heart is. And his heart is with making sure that all of the UFC employees stay employed, that there's no layoffs, that the fighters get to make a little bit of money, that the people at home during this virus are entertained. Now, of course, you know, the social distancing aspect is being disregarded. It's a risk versus reward situation. But at the same time, I think that if they are testing all the fighters and all the personnel for the coronavirus in advance, that, and you are doing it again in an empty arena, that you're going to minimize any sort of damage that, that can occur. And I do think that there is such a, a, a massive appetite right now for people to get this kind of entertainment. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I saw recently an article. There's a, there was streaming a live game of marbles on YouTube, and it had like 300,000 viewers or something like that. So people are desperate. And just going back to what you said about Dana there, and far be it from me to have to speak about Dana because he doesn't need me as a spokesman. But I'll just give you an example. I remember uh, I had a detached retina 
and then my retina redetached. And I was training to fight Mark Munoz. And I think it was like two, three weeks before the fight. And I called Dana and I said, listen, I've got bad news. My retina is redetached. I said, but don't worry. They can fix the surgery. It'll take me a few days. Sorry, they can fix the eye, give me a surgery. It'll take a few days for it to heal. And then I'll take it easy and I'll be good to go. And Dana's like, shut up. What are you talking about? There is absolutely no way we're putting you at that kind of risk. We're going to speak to your doctors. Simple as that. And I'm like, no, 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 Dana, because I wanted to fight. I wanted to earn a living. But he said, he said, no, it's not safe for you to do that. So you're not fighting. And that fight was called off. So D- D- Dana, you know, he, he's a brass spokesman for the company. But, you know, he, he cares deeply about everybody involved from the fighters to all the staff that work for the UFC. So what are you doing right now to occupy yourself at home? Um, obviously, you're, you're spending time with your family. I saw that you were soliciting movie recommendations for your, your nine-year-old. I've got a nine-year-old, so if you, if you need any advice, you can hit me up anytime because uh, my son yeah, has watched every single kid movie on the planet. Yeah, yeah. Well, we watched Goonies last night for the first time. He loved it. He loved it. You know, children these days, they don't want to watch uh, – well, my son doesn't want to watch movies. He's not interested. But, you know, sometimes I've got to kind of blackmail them into watching them. But uh, – I obviously I still do my podcast, believe you me. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. People like it. Been doing that and I'm still doing some work from home. The beauty of this is, I mean, you see me here, right? You know, I'm here. I'm at home. But check this out. Boom. Oh, yeah. That's how I go to work these days. In my underpants. You know what I'm saying? That's that's how we're rolling, Aaron. You know what I mean? I'm wearing regular pants, so if I stand up, it's not going to be anything special for anybody. <laughs> yeah, no, I apologize to all your viewers and listeners for that vision there. My sincere apologies. You know, it, it's, um, it is a trying time right now, for sure, for a lot of people. But if you look at the positives, you know, for me, excuse me, I just frame myself up again, pardon me. For me, um, you know, I, I was on the road a lot with the UFC. Not complaining. Very, very fortunate to have that job. But a lot of the weekends I'm away and I would cherish any time I had a weekend at home. So now my, all my children are home. My son's home from college. I'm home. My wife is here. So we're having a lot of, you know, one-on-one, pardon me, quality family time. You know, doing a lot of cooking, spending a lot of nice quality time together. The weather just got nice here in California. It was a bit crappy the last few weeks, but the weather's nice again now. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's not all doom and gloom. I know that's not the case for everybody. You know, I I think of people that are lonely, people that live by themselves, perhaps people that have had marital problems or whatever. So not everybody's going through that. But you know, uh, for me personally, you know, it, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. And you know, as I say, we we are going through tough times. And you know, I mean, the public in general. And it is difficult and people are having to make sacrifices and things like that. But like, if you look at what you know, our grandparents went through with the Second World War and the First World War and things like that, what they really had to go through, that was real hardships. All we've got to do right now for the most part, not everyone, because some people have to go to work and there's some of the things that can still happen. But generally, we just got to stay at home. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. Quit your whining. Quit your bitching. Jesus Christ. Read a book. Watch TV. Do whatever you want, but come on. It's not that bad. Well, they just added a fight to uh, YouTube, a free fight. Do you know which one they added today? I have no idea. So from UFC 199. Oh, uh, let me see. Uh, Max Holloway versus Ricardo Lamas. No, I'll give you another guess, though. 
<laughs> yeah, no, no, no. That's, I didn't see that, but obviously you're talking about me and Rockhold. That was good. Yeah, they added that to, uh, to YouTube today as a free fight. So if anybody wants oh, to share, celebrate your glory once again when, when you came back and won the, uh, the middleweight championship of the world, they're, they're good to do so. Do you think that there's any other story that's like that that we've seen in the UFC where someone, everybody said, oh, this guy's going to retire. He's, he's going to be the, the, the best fighter to never fight for a title, to never win the belt. Like, will we see a story? Are there any other stories that are comparable to that in your opinion? Uh, I mean, there's got to be. There's got to be. I don't think I'm an anomaly. I don't think I'm special or anything like that. Far from it, you know. Uh, so, yeah, obviously, I don't know every fighter's story. I know a lot of fighters' story. That's my job these days as, a, as an analyst and a commentator. But I don't know everybody's. But come on, Aaron. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, there'll never be another story like mine. You know, everybody will go beep unfollow right now. And rightly so, because I would but be an absolute be true. It could dickhead. be true. I can't think of another one off the top of my head. I cover the sport. Yeah, no, it could be true. I mean, where is this going to air on? Is this uh, airing on TSN in Canada? Is this your podcast? What is this going on? It'll go just about everywhere. Go on social media, go on tsn.ca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, regarding that story, I was up in Canada. I was in Toronto. I was filming a movie with Vin Diesel, and I hadn't been near a gym in three months. You know, I'd fought my way to a number one contender fight a few times, and, uh, you know, fallen short, you know, whether they were on steroids or whatever, fair play. I still lost those fights. I just beat an Anderson Silva. I was in Toronto. And then Helwani, uh, our good friend Ariel Helwani texted me and said, Chris Weidman is out of the title fight with Luke Rockhold. He might want to hit up Dana. So I sent him and Lorenzo a text. And verbatim, that text said, if either of those can't make it to the octagon, you know where I am. And I got a nice, friendly text saying, Jacare, thank you. You're awesome. We appreciate that. Jacare is our first option. If Jacare can't do it, then you're the man. And I thought, well, there's no way Jack Array's going to turn that down. So what did I do? You know, I was in Toronto. I got some buddies. We went and watched a Raptors game. We had a few beers, more than a few beers. You know, we had a good night drinking. And then the next day I wake up, I'm a little worse for wear. And uh, I'm like, oh, God, I'm going to be on set later. I better go to the gym and sweat out this puffy face. And I'm in the gym. And all of a sudden my phone starts lighting up like a Christmas tree. And, of course, I had the fight. But, uh, yeah, fortunately, it all went my way. Well, Jacare might be an example of someone who also couldn't get, like, couldn't get to the title shot, and that could have been his one opportunity. Hey, there you go. There you go. You've got to roll the dice, my friend. You've got to roll the dice. Nothing's guaranteed in this life. That's why they say quitters never win. There you go. Quitters never win. Or which could be translated to don't be a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know. Listen, don't. That was, that was the second title for your book. That was the one that didn't make, didn't make the cut. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, that was one of the, the, the authors were like, oh, I'm not sure about that one, Mike. Is that a turntable you have in the background behind you? Oh, no, it is. Yeah, this. Uh, if I slide this this way, you'll see there's all kinds of decks. And uh, see, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess because prior to being, I'll turn it this way, prior to being a, uh, a professional fire, I was a DJ. I was a professional nightclub DJ playing house and trance. And, uh, you know, I've got thousands and thousands of records and stuff. And uh, I don't really bother with it anymore. But obviously, you know, we're in quarantine. We're in self-isolation. We're all going bored, looking for things to do. So I started rooting through the records the other day. As you can see, it's definitely a mess. But DJ Mikey B, as I was known as back in the day, I'm going to do a live stream, I think. I saw, I saw one of my DJ friends doing it a few days ago. He did a live stream of a DJ set. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that myself. So either this Friday or Saturday night, I'm going to live stream 
uh, a DJ set on my Instagram, on my Facebook and Twitter. So uh, first of all, I've got to figure out the technology to do that, how to do three different platforms. But I'll try. If I can do it all, that will be millions of people. But uh, yeah, so that's why the turntables are out. But I've got to get knee surgery tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll be having knee surgery. So uh, that's granted I can stand up on two legs for any significant amount of time. Okay, so are you worried about that, having to go to a hospital for knee surgery during this time? Well, so here's the thing. So I actually spoke to my doctor and I said, listen, uh, elective surgery right now is out. And he said, no, yeah, but uh, this is a specific surgery center. It's, it's not a hospital. It's a very, very small surgery center for orthopedics specifically. So that's all we do right now. He said, the moment the government get in touch with us and tell us that they need this facility, we'll be stopping all surgeries. He said, but right now, Michael, he said, that's still how we're operating for orthopedic surgery. So, uh, so I said, okay, great. So I'm going in there tomorrow. I had a knee replacement earlier, well, sorry, in October last year. I'll show you a nice little scar. See the scar, and you can't really see it. Oh, I can see it, yeah, at the top there, wow. Yeah, there we go. So I, I had a knee replacement last year. That was bloody miserable. My left knee had given me problems. Ever since George St. Pierre caused me to tear my posterior cruciate ligament back in 2006. Good old George. And, um, and, uh, you take pot shots at George. No, George is the man. I love George. Come on, everybody loves George. I'm only, I'm only, I'm only messing around. George is the best. I, I have so much respect for that guy. What happened? This, what happened at the Hall of Fame that day? I was always wondering because that, that was like the one time I think I, that George has like been angry and yelled. He was swearing at you. you that, like that was the day where you made him break. Yeah, hold on. How, how are you hearing me? Are you hearing this? No, I think I'm probably just hearing your built-in computer mic. Okay, good, good, good. Because that, yeah, I wasn't sure. Um, yeah, so you're talking about the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, listen, I love George. Me and George have a great relationship to this day. We, we text occasionally and things like that. And I've got a documentary coming out later in the year. And George was very kind to, uh, you know, lend some of his time and say a few words. And he provided some great content for that documentary. i got nothing but respect for George. But when we're going to fight, you know, all's fair in love and war. So um, I was stirring the pot a little bit. And then I remember we came out of the Hockey Hall of Fame and there was TMZ. And TMZ came up and I, I, I whispered to Jason Perillo, my boxing coach. I said, all right, Jason, here we go. Time to go sell a few pay-per-views. So I went over and I started getting in George's face. Right? And then George lost his cool, started like, you know, like saying a few things back. And it was perfect. That's what I wanted. It was on TMZ, which, as we know, is a massive media outlet. Uh, you know, because beef, aggravation, hostility, sells a fight. Uh, but then later on, I, I saw George. We were actually on, where were we? We were on um, we were ESPN or something like that. We had their main studios in Connecticut. And we're doing the rounds, you know, and then I walked into a bathroom. And then we stood there. We had a chat about cars and we had a nice little laugh. We were talking about cars and this and that because he's got a Range Rover and I had a Range Rover and the things fall apart constantly. So we had a, a laugh about that. And then I walked out. I said, right, got to get a game face back on now, George. There's media out there. So then as soon as we walked out, I was being a dick again. You were right about the thing where he sticks his tongue into his cheek, though. That, that, that means he's agitated. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot that I said that. I did. Just something that I picked up on. He kept doing it. Yeah, and he, does that sticks his tongue in his cheek? There you go. There you, you're welcome, George. If you watch Diaz press conferences from over the years, like any of his press conferences, you can see him do it. It's it was like a little noise. Oh, really? Okay, I only spotted him doing it on my ones. So yeah, there you go. I'm smarter than what you think.
All right, Mike. Thanks for doing this. I, I appreciate it. We're looking forward to your DJ set. So uh, you're going to continue to do the uh, Believe You Me podcast yourself and, and Louis J. Gomez. Louis J. Gomez? Louis J. Gomez? Yeah, no, it, it's it's Louis Gomez. If you don't say Louis J, he gets all offended. But that's very, it's a little bit ponty, if you ask me. So I like to call him Louis Gomez, but he goes by Louis J. Gomez. He's a comedian from New York and I'm obviously who I am. So, yeah, yeah, we have like a comedic MMA podcast. It's it's generally around MMA, but we talk about whatever's going on in the world, whether it be coronavirus, Tiger King, which everybody's talking about, or whatever it is, whatever we did at the weekend. Always a pleasure talking to you, buddy. And, uh, yeah, all the best. Stay safe and God bless. So that's this week's show. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. I urge you to go to my Twitter account. Twitter.com slash Aaron Bronstetter. I'm doing a daily segment called uh, Coffee and Combat. It's a morning chat with uh, either a, a fighter in the UFC, someone covering the sport, etc. And uh, I'm starting to do more live chats as well. So you can jump on uh, social media, check out my, my live chats on uh, Periscope and on Twitter. Uh, also a lot of content coming out, www.tsn.ca slash UFC. Uh, constantly releasing interviews, fun segments to uh, keep you from... The boredom of uh, social distancing, if you're looking to consume some content that isn't necessarily related to the coronavirus and you're looking for an escape, hopefully I can uh, offer you that escape valve with the mixed martial arts content that I'm providing. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with more TSN MMA Show.